Good morning, MRCC. Welcome to Church Online today. We are so happy you decided to join us this morning. Amen. Yeah, we're yes. excited that you're here. Um, I don't know if you were here this last week, though. We had a great time. Oh, we best. had a trunk or treat last Tuesday. Tons of kids, so cool. tons of candy, tons of amazing trunks. A lot of creativity. I know, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And our maze and uh, fun fest that we had. I mean, the kids had the best time awesome. in the maze. Uh, before anything, sugar coma happened, and it was awesome. So much candy. It's the best. <laughs> and it's because of your gift that we were able to do that and over oh, 30 yeah. volunteers like I think that's the most amazing thank to you have so people much gathering and coming you. together helping out in that way it's amazing, yes, it's yeah? amazing. <laughs> well hey we have some stuff coming up yeah hey starting tonight if you want to call MRCC your home mm. join us tonight we have a three-week membership course beginning uh, every Sunday night starting tonight at yeah. 6 30 just come on down if you're ready to learn more about MRCC and how to be involved. Yeah, that's awesome, so good. And if you are a lady, uh, we have a group called Sisters of Strength. We just wanna invite you to come and be here on Monday evening at 6.30 as well. Uh, join us, we'll have dinner, we'll have fellowship, it'll be awesome. Yeah? I'm a little partial to Band of Brothers, but I might be a little biased, <laughs> just saying. Well, hey, okay. you know Dean Smith, you've heard about his online course, Freedom Through Forgiveness. It begins November 9th. If you want some more information or if you'd like to sign up, just visit our website, mrccnow.org. Awesome. And one last thing we want to make sure you know about is Operation Christmas Child. Yes, it's just right. It's an, an international organization that helps deliver gifts to kids all over so the amazing. not just yes. all over the world so it's a pretty cool organization and we get to partner with them yeah. by packing these amazing boxes right here well what a time uh -huh. for giving and for generosity right absolutely you know we even have it set up outside where you could just come and drive through if you want to pick up a box on sunday morning during regular church time but just drive by grab one uh, all the stuff is inside the box so you can fill it up bring it back between the 8th and the 15th we'll be here you can even come by the church office during the week to pick we'll up a there. box we'll be yeah. here we'd love to have you just come by grab a box fill it up bring it back and we'll send them on and uh, kids will be blessed that Amen. would be amazing <laughs> church thank you so much for joining us we are so excited to enter into a time of worship let's just worship our amazing god in his presence together amen i want one i want one let's, let's go. go church <laughs> Hello church, thanks for joining us for MRCC Church Online today. Let's worship our amazing God together. He's walking with us during this time. So Lord, we offer our hearts to you. Today let's sing of who he is, our great God together. Lord, we praise you. Yes, he's coming on the clouds. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Let's lift it up, church. Our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before him. That's right. Our God is For the sins of the world, his blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Oh, every knee will bow. 
make way before the King of Kings. We make way, Lord, for your presence. The God who comes to save is here to set the captives free.
Chapter 16, verse 33, it says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. At a time like this, we know that a lot of comforts have been stripped away from us. The world is changing dramatically on a daily basis. Church, what are we placing our hope in? What are we placing our trust in right now? Is it media? Is it the internet? Is it the opinions and the things of this world? In his word, it says the things of this world will fade. But whoever does the will of God will live forever. Placing our hope in the things of this world is shaky ground. And the fact is, there is one who is the way. There is one who is the truth and the life. And it's Jesus. He is our living hope. He has overcome the world. And to this Savior, we sing hallelujah. 
So church, can we come before him now in his presence and worship him for who he is? We place our trust in you, Lord.
you hold it all together. You see the end of this thing. Father, we place our trust in you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Whom shall we fear? So God, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you are. And as your sons and daughters, we praise you because you're worthy. And in your name, we pray. Amen. Amen, church. So great to worship our amazing God together. Hey, friends, it's so good to be with you again. I'm glad you could make the time to join us. Maybe it's Sunday morning for you like it is for us. Maybe it's another part of the week. Whenever it is in your world, great to have you with us. And before we open God's Word together, uh, friends, I just want to say a, a huge thank you to, to so many folks at MRCC who are a part of our online campus during this time. It is amazing how faithful the people of God have been in their giving during this time. Every single week as families struggle through this season, we as a church have been able to step in to help, to, to connect ends that weren't meeting, to deal with crises, and it's because of the incredible generosity and faithfulness in giving of so many of you. So I get to tell the, the live in-person congregation that regularly. I don't often get to tell you online, and so I just want to express that. Uh, thank you for helping us help so many people in this season. Uh, your faithfulness God sees, He delights in it, and it brings glory to Jesus in so many ways. So thank you for that. Grab your Bible if you would, open it to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to continue our journey together through Philippians. Remember what we're remembering as a congregation in this season is that taking God's Word on its own terms is part of maturing in Christ. When instead of going to God's Word for a solution to some specific problem in our life, we go to God's Word to have our foundations rebuilt, to have our thinking and our perspective uh, corrected. And that's what we're doing by walking through Philippians verse by verse. We're in chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. We're going to go down through verse 21. And as we get ready to start together, let me, let me ask you a question that, that I do already know the answer to, and that's this. Have you ever been really discouraged? Do you sometimes wrestle with feeling discouraged? Everyone does. We've all been discouraged at one time or another. If you're a Mariners fan, you're always discouraged. You get it. <laughs> if you're hoping that they'll someday invent low-fat chili cheese Fritos, you know what discouragement feels like. That's not going to happen. <laughs> If you're hoping that it's going to stop raining between now and next July, you're in for some discouragement. If you're planning to see your cat in heaven, you're definitely going to be discouraged. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. I'm kidding. In my house, I live with a specific kind of discouragement. And that is, you know, I always want to do my part in the housework. I want to be part of the team that makes our house go forward. And, and part of that means cleaning the bathrooms. But here's what I've learned after 36 years of marriage. I lack the ability to clean the bathroom well enough. I'll go in and clean the bathroom and think that, hey, this will bless Rhonda. She'll come home and she'll see that I've already done this. But what I find happening again and again is that a few hours later, she's re-cleaning it. <laughs> Maybe, fellas, you understand where I'm coming from with this. Somehow I lack the ability to clean the bathroom adequately. 
You know, but the, the cool thing is that, that Rhonda puts up with it. Rhonda bears with me. She appreciates my efforts. She thrills when I try and then sometimes secretly goes back and, and does it right. And you know, this forces me to do two things, this reality in my home. First of all, I have to admit that somehow I, I fall short, that I lack the ability to clean the bathroom to my wife's standards. But second, it invites me to be humbled and thankful for her attitude about it, because she appreciates my efforts even when they fall short. And it's those two ideas that God wants to talk to us about today. Because walking with God can feel discouraging sometimes. And it feels that way because when we choose that life, we're trying to do something hard, something difficult, something demanding, something that most of the world isn't even trying to do. And that is to struggle against sinfulness to struggle against what's wrong in the pursuit of being good people, of being holy people, of being a people united in Jesus. Most of the world doesn't even try to be united, but believers do. Most of the world doesn't try to be good to the degree that Jesus calls us, but Christians do. And sometimes because of that high calling, we wrestle with discouragement. But here's what God wants to talk to us about today, is that that struggle feels very different when you understand God's attitude about your struggle. Let me say that again. That struggle feels very different when you understand God's attitude about your struggle. You see, church, when God is your Father through Jesus Christ, then your struggle with sin is not the struggle of someone trying to make the grade, but the struggle of a son or a daughter who is growing up in a family in which you are loved. There's a huge difference between those two things. Just like your attitude towards your children's struggle is different than their employer's attitude, God's attitude towards our struggle is different than that of, of, uh, of someone who is not a father, of someone who is not parenting us. C.S. Lewis wrote memorably that God is hard to satisfy, but easy to please. And it's that idea that the Apostle Paul brings to our attention here in Philippians chapter 3. This, today God wants you to understand his attitude about your struggle. Let's begin with verse 12 and go on from there. Here's what the scripture says. Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. I press on towards the goal for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Uh, let's pause there for a moment. We're going to move down through verse 21, but let's, let's take in what we've heard. Paul is saying, I know that God has high goals for me. 
I, we, we talked about this earlier in the series, that we are called to be saints. That God's agenda for us is that of a, a, a good father for his children. He has high goals for their character, for their conduct. That's the nature of love. Paul is saying, I know that God has high goals for me, and, and I own that. And I am determined to keep striving to reach those goals. But, but I, I don't strive in order to become God's son or daughter. I strive because I am. I strive because I understand that he is parenting me. This is the attitude of a Christian. Let me help you notice a couple of things in that passage that we just read. read. First of all, to be made perfect speaks of putting away sinfulness. Now, understand that sinfulness includes acts of commission, in other words, things we do wrong, as well as acts of omission, in other words, good we don't do. It includes both of those things. James tells us in chapter 4, verse 17, any man who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So when Paul speaks of being made perfect, he's talking about growing out of sinfulness in terms of what we do and growing into goodness and virtue in terms of what we do. It includes both of those concepts, both of those ideas. The, the word sin literally means it's taken from archery. It means to miss the mark, to hit the target but miss the bullseye. And it speaks of being less than you are made to be. It's the kind of feeling that you have for your kids. You have a high standard for them if you're a good parent. And God has that for us as well. Whatever it is you're struggling with, Paul wants us to understand that, that God has called us to overcome it, that God has called us to learn to rise above that. Maybe for you it's your temper. Maybe it's your tongue. Maybe it's your lust. Or maybe it's your, your lack of love, both for friends and enemies. Or, or maybe your struggle is that, that you have never sought to, to not only not do bad, but to do good in your world, to make a difference, to build the kingdom, to bless other people. Maybe your struggle is that you've never shared your faith. What, whatever your struggle is, Paul begins by saying, I, I own that God wants to call me, that God is calling me to overcome it. So to be made perfect speaks of putting away sinfulness, of being what you were made to be in the best sense of the word, aiming for that, growing into that. That's God's desire for us. Paul owns that. He says, I, I understand that. I feel that. I know God is parenting me. Jesus talked about the same thing when he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Understand that perfection is not perfectionism. We get that idea because we, we think of machinery and a perfectly operating machine never makes a mistake. Perfection, in this sense, means being completely given to becoming mature and whole and complete. To growing up and being a godly man or woman. Paul says, I own that calling in my life. And the, the first question the Holy Spirit has for you today is, have you owned that calling in your life? Good parents aim for that. And God is a good parent. Your father desires to grow you up, not only beyond doing what's bad, but into being someone who does what is good. You know, when I was teaching our, our teenage son to drive, 
Like you, I, I wasn't content with sloppy, haphazard habits. <laughs> I understood that his safety was at stake, and not only his safety, but the safety of other people. And so when I was teaching him to drive, I had some standards that I wasn't willing to retreat from. In the same way, God has in our lives those kinds of standards. He is parenting us. He is fathering us. And Paul owns that. You know, sometimes the best gift God can give you is a high calling. I, I remember years ago when I was assigned to the emergency room as a corpsman, and, and one of the things we had to learn was, was how to suture a wound, how to sew up and close a wound. And uh, one evening, uh, we had this older guy. I was brand new in the ER, and we had this older guy who came in. I hadn't done any suturing yet, and he was kind of a gnarly, tough old guy. He had a big cut on his arm, and the doctor said, asked the guy, he said, hey, uh, we've got this young corpsman here. He's learning how to suture. Can, can you be his first patient? Can he practice on you? And uh, the guy said, sure, yeah, go ahead. Let him do it, you know. And so I came in there, and this is going to be my first time to, to put a needle into somebody else's skin and to sew up a wound. And, you know, I had learned how to do it in school, but I had never done it. And, and so I was nervous, and I got in there, and I, and I started, and the first thing I did was make a mistake, you know. And in the moment that I made that mistake, I kind of wanted to quit. I wanted to step back. I, I, I thought, I can't do this. This is hard, and, and this guy's watching me, and it's his arm. And, you know, I was overwhelmed with this desire to quit. But the doctor said, no, you have to finish. You got to do this. This is part of your learning. This is required of you. You can't quit. I'm so thankful for that. Because I finished sewing up that guy's arm, and I learned. And then I did it again, and then I learned, and then I did it again. And pretty soon, I got really good at it. And there came a point where I would be called in to do really delicate suturing, like on a, a girl who had cut herself or injured her face. The doctors trusted me to sew on her because I had learned how to do it. I wouldn't have learned if left to myself. I had to own the high calling. When the doctor insisted, I had to acquiesce. And in the same way, God steps into our lives and says, hey, I want to grow you. I'm going to grow you. I'm determined to do this. Paul says, I own that. I feel that. I understand that. Church, understand, God has called you and me to holiness, to being made perfect because of the freedom it gives us. Do you know how good I felt when I had learned how to suture well and then I was called in to do some delicate suturing? God wants you to experience that kind of thing. That's why his standard is high. That's why his call is to perfection. But, but here's what's really important today is that Paul also knows that getting there is a process. That being fathered by God into perfection is not something that happens in a moment. It takes time. It includes failing and then learning from our failures and then going forward. Look at what he says in verses 13 to 14 of chapter 3 of Philippians. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. In other words, Paul says, I keep putting aside my failures. I don't allow them to deter me from the goal. I don't allow them to, to cause me to become discouraged. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. I go back to suturing the arm, even though I feel inadequate, even though I've failed, even though I feel like I'm going to fail again. I go back and I try again. In other words, Paul says he never gives up when he fails in this calling to holiness and to perfection. You know, it's, it's human nature, it's the sinful nature to want to quit when we fail. We've all felt it. 
A kind of self-pity comes over us when we aim high and fall short. And the worst part of us wants to run from those moments. But God wants us to understand that he is a father to us in those moments. He won't back down from him, his ambitions for us, but he knows that our growing is a matter of falling down and getting back up again. Of failing and learning from our failure and then trying again. And so we need never be discouraged. You know, the Bible emphasizes this in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, where the scripture says, Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. But the wicked are brought down by calamity. In other words, the righteous man knows God's father heart in his struggles. So he keeps getting up. He keeps going forward. She keeps trying. The wicked, however, don't. They give in to self-pity and they retreat from that high calling. When you understand a father's heart, you're not discouraged. You get up, you try again. I read an article about Su Song Moon of South Korea, a man who always wanted to get his driver's license, but he couldn't read, and so studying for his driver's test was difficult. He, he tried memorizing the rules of the road and taking the oral exam that's offered for those who are illiterate, but he failed his test the first time he went. He failed it the second time he went. He failed it the third time he went. But, but he wasn't discouraged. He kept trying. He tried again and failed again. He tried again and failed again. On his 272nd attempt at the driver's test, at the age of 70, Mr. Song Moon finally passed his driver's test. And as he headed out for his first drive in the country, having become something of a celebrity for his efforts, a reporter asked, was it worth it? Oh yes, Mr. Moon said, I'm glad I never gave up. You see, he never allowed himself to be discouraged, although there were so many reasons to be. And in the same way, God wants you to set aside that discouragement, to understand that his father heart knows that failure is part of your learning to succeed. And that's important for us to grasp. Many believers get discouraged because they assume that their struggle with sin means something is wrong with them. But in fact, it means something is right with you. If you weren't struggling to be good, if you weren't struggling against bad, then that would be a problem. The fact that you are struggling demonstrates that you're God's daughter, God's son. That's the evidence of it. That's why Paul says in verses 15 and 16, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. If on some point you think differently, God will make that clear to you. But only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let me say that again. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. You see, we don't struggle against sin in order to become the children of God. But we struggle against sin because we already are the children of God. And the struggle itself is the sign that we are. Over in Romans chapter 7, the apostle explains this in some detail. Let's take just a moment and listen to him. Paul says in Romans 7 verse 15, I don't understand what I do, for what I want to do I don't do, but what I hate I do. Do you ever feel like that? We all do. It's because we have been born again. 
Our very desire to do good is the evidence of that. Before I was a follower of Jesus, before I was a Christian, I never worried about sin. I just followed my appetites. I just did what I wanted. I didn't think twice about whether it was right or good, about what it was doing to my heart and mind, about how it affected other people. I just did my own thing. But once I became a believer, that changed. Suddenly, I began to seek to do what was right, to try to be good. Paul says that's the evidence that you're a believer. C.S. Lewis wrote memorably that no one knows how bad they are until they've tried really hard to be good. And sometimes we feel how far short we fall and we think that's the evidence that something's wrong with us when in fact it's the evidence that something's right with us. And Paul goes on to say in verse 16, and if I do what I don't want to do, okay, in verse 15 he said that's, the, that's what I feel, that's what happens to me. He says, if that's the case, if I do what I don't want to do, then I agree that the law is good. In other words, in my heart, I'm agreeing with God. That's a wonderful sign. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit in you. This conflict inside of me reveals that there is a new me, one that agrees with God about what's right and wrong, about what's good and bad about being parented. And then he goes on to say, verses 17 to 19, again, Romans chapter 7, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. In other words, there's a new me and an old me. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature, the old me, for I have the desire what is to, to do good, that's the new me, but I, I struggle to carry it out. I can't always carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. What he's doing is he's acknowledging this conflict, this struggle that's inside of us. And here's his whole point. Verse 20, he finishes the thought. He says, now if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, it is sin living in me that does it. In other words, there's a new me. There's a new me, the me that struggles, the me that seeks to cooperate with God's parenting. There's a new me that wants what is right. And now I have to learn how to listen to that part of me, learn how to restrain the other part, not in order to create the new me, but because there is a new me. Again, as Paul says in Philippians 3.16, only let us live up to what we've already attained. You know, I kind, of, I kind of experience this dynamic in my life when I get up in the morning to go running. When that alarm goes off at 5 o'clock on a weekday morning, uh, it's almost always the case that I think to myself, do I really want to get up and go running? Uh, part of me really doesn't want to. But here's what I've learned, that regardless of how I feel in that moment, regardless of the weather, regardless of how tired I'm, if I will drag myself out and get out on the road and go for that run, I always feel better afterwards. I am always glad that I did it. I am always thankful that I aimed higher than what I was feeling. And God wants us to discover that kind of joy. You see, when we understand his father heart towards our struggles, then we won't be discouraged by them. We don't, uh, we aren't overcome by discouragement. Instead, instead, and this is important, we're endlessly motivated by the humility that comes from knowing that God has given us a place in his family that we didn't deserve, that we didn't earn. And the humility of knowing that is what inspires us, is what encourages us, is what enables us to get up and try again to overcome our temper or our lust or our tongue or whatever it is. 
Try again to be a saint, his people, his holy people. I love the movie, the movie Rudy. Maybe you've seen it. It's the, the true story of a walk-on football player at Notre Dame named Daniel Rudiger who was too small and too slow to make the team, whose grades were too low to even get into the school. But his dream was to play football for Notre Dame. And so he gave himself to the process. For four long years, he keeps trying. He, he, he functions as a tackling dummy on the team. They use him for blocking practice. Again and again and again, he falls short of the standard required to be a Notre Dame football player. But here's the thing about the movie. Rudy never gives up. He will not quit. He will not let go of that sense of calling. And no matter how demeaning his experiences, no matter how public his failures, he just keeps coming back and keeps coming back. And at the end of the movie, Rudy is actually put on the field the last part of his senior year and gets to play on the Notre Dame football team. He gets to have his dream come true. Now, the, the beauty of the movie is that Rudy succeeds because of his humility. No struggle overcomes him. He's never discouraged. He just continues to keep reaching for that calling. In the same way, God wants us to understand that we will experience the victory of overcoming as we continue to own that struggle, to cooperate with his parenting, to seek that high calling. Friends, please, as we get ready to finish today, understand that God never wants you to become discouraged by your struggles because your struggles are the evidence that you are His. Way back in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 32, there's a powerful moment that illustrates this. Jacob, who all his life ha has chosen what is wrong, who has lived short of his calling, finally comes to a moment where he wrestles with God about his calling. And the scripture says that as a result of that struggle, Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, God says to Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God, because you have owned that struggle with God. Friends, understand your struggle to overcome sin is the evidence that you are his, that you belong to him, and that you're being parented by him. And so Paul in Philippians finishes his thought. He says, join with others in following my example, brothers. Take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I told you before and now say even again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship, Paul says, is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Two things as we get ready to close. First of all, Paul says, take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Pattern speaks of a lifestyle, of specifically the lifestyle of a disciple, cooperating with God in his parenting of us, seeking to overcome tongue, temper, lust, whatever it is, because we have taken upon ourselves the yoke of Christ. We live a daily disciplined lifestyle aiming in that direction. What does that mean practically? It means that daily we get into God's Word. Ten minutes a day in God's Word will change your life. It means that daily we meet with God in prayer. It means that every week we seek to serve, to worship. Those disciplines transform us. Paul says, take note of those who live that way because they will experience this transformation.
And then he contrasts those who live in his phrase as enemies of the cross of Christ. Those who take grace for license. But, but Paul understands that Jesus doesn't save me to sin. He saves me from sin. To be an enemy of the cross of Christ means failing to realize that the, the grace of God is a call to be parented by God. Paul describes those who reject this idea as people who live as if their God is their stomach, meaning they live like animals, treating their appetites uh, as if they define them. Much of our culture does that. They say, if, if there's an appetite in me, if there's an inclination in me, whether right and wrong, then, then I must seek to justify it. But God says, no, some of your appetites need to be put away. You need to grow out of them. You need to be parented out of them. You need to learn how to put others first and so on and so forth. You know, you think of the family dog. Our dog is <laughs> precious to us. And, and if you let the dog have its way, it becomes a mangy mongrel and a nuisance and a problem. But if you discipline the dog, it becomes part of the family. In the same way, believers understand that we are called to be disciplined, to be parented. Because that's actually, in the end, what sets us free. Which dog is more contented and happy, the wild dog or the dog that's been taken into a home and made part of the family? In the same way, we as believers are called to be God's sons and daughters, parented by him. Owning that is crucial. Paul finishes in verses 20 to 21 and says, Our citizenship is, heaven, is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies. In other words, Paul says we're looking forward. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our focus is is on the finishing of this race to be made perfect. We are looking forward. We are looking forward to who we are becoming. That's the Christian way. And it makes all the difference in how we live day to day. When your attention is fixed forward on being parented by God into maturity, on overcoming sin in your life, when your focus is there, it changes the way you experience every day of your life. Let me finish with a story. Salvador Alvarenga and Ezequiel Cordoba were fishermen, Mexican fishermen, who headed out to sea in November of 2012 in Mr. Alvarenga's 25-foot fishing boat to catch the fish that they sold in the marketplace for a living. On the day they left, Mr. Alvarenga was a 37-year-old skipper of the boat and not the most healthy middle-aged man. Ezekiel was 22 and in the prime of his life and an athlete. Little did they know what was in store for them. As they were returning from fishing some 75 miles offshore and, and eventually came in sight of land, the motor on their boat quit. Then, unbelievably at the same time, their radio died suddenly. And the loss of power meant their boat began to drift away from shore. And they would go on to drift in that 25-foot boat in the Pacific Ocean for the next year. 438 days to be exact, more than a year. Early on in their ordeal, Ezekiel confessed that he was sure they would die at sea. Salvador insisted that they would not. They just had to learn how to live at sea until they were rescued. 
And so he began to improvise. He began to come up with ways to catch fresh water. He began to come up with ways to catch fish. He began to come up with ways to cope with the sun and the, the elements. And he kept looking forward. He said, no, 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 if we learn to live through this, we'll survive it. A year in, Ezekiel, though he began so much stronger and healthier, gave up and died. Salvador, however, continued to endeavor to learn how to live at sea. And eventually, on the 438th day, he washed up on an island in the Marshalls and was rescued. He said when asked what was the key to his survival, I chose to learn how to live. And that is what God calls us to in Christ, to learn how to live, to be parented, to understand that he's at work in our lives. So we need never be discouraged with our struggles, but we must never give up on our struggles to overcome, to be the son or daughter that he's made us to be. That's God's call to you. Maybe you've been wrestling with discouragement and saying, wow, this is hard and I, I feel like I fall so far short. Understand this, God's attitude towards your struggles is that of a father. He wants you to learn how to live his way, to keep your eyes fixed forward on that goal. And as you do, he'll get you there. That's who he is. That's what he does. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we confess, God, that sometimes we do get discouraged. You remind us, however, that we have aimed high. When we choose to be your sons and daughters, we invite your parenting, and that's a high calling, a high standard. God, teach us that you are patient with us as we go. Teach us to forget what is behind, to strain towards what is ahead. Teach us to live as if we're living up to what we've already attained. God, we pray for that. I ask your blessing on your sons and daughters who are listening in this moment, God. Encourage them with your attitude about their struggles. Touch their hearts. Remind them of their high calling. Remind them of your patience in getting them there. We thank you for your word, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I hope you have a great day. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them.